Welcome to Closer to Christ, the sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. You can learn more about our ministries at stpaulmuskego.org. And now for this week's message. You can feel the tension. They're wrong. But do we have the right to be offended? What gospel benefit comes from our being angry? Is righteous anger even possible for us? So here's the hypothesis. We're not entitled to get offended or stay angry. What if giving up your right to be offended could possibly do? Could it be that giving up our right to be angry over everything power of Jesus Christ. May the God of hope fill you with all peace and joy as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. What's so tragic is it's never any cycle. It's a daily one. You hurt me, so I hurt you. Because you hurt me, you hurt me back. Like a dog chasing steel. It's like that was deep and deeper would be the first offense seeing so Did you know that over sixty people lost lives during the legendary Hatfield McCoy feud? This is a picture of my first church in Invergrove Heights, Minnesota. When I got there, and for seven of the eight years that I was there, I was in the unenviable position of chairing the church council. We finally got that changed, and I took the call here. Ten men served on the council, and one night we were talking about a program, and nine of the ten men had spoken, and now the tenth man, his name was Robin, was speaking. And Robin wasn't just a member of the church. He and I were close friends. Uh, his wife and I and my wife Sue would go over to their house after church on New Year's Eve and play Uno until 3 the next morning. Robin paused in his speaking, and I couldn't tell if he was done or if he was just kind of gathering his thoughts. So I asked Robin, is that all? He gave me a funny look, but he said, yeah, that's all. And then we dismissed everybody because the meeting was over. Sunday, he came into church, and there was something going on, but I didn't pursue it. Another week went by, and now Robin was worse. He, he wouldn't even greet me. And so I hauled him into my office, and I said, Robin, what's going on? He said, Pastor, how could you do to me what you did at the council meeting two weeks ago? What did I do, Robin? He said, you embarrassed me in front of all the older guys on the council. I wasn't finished speaking, and you looked at me and said, is that all? I just told you how I meant when I asked, is that all? Robin took it wrong. Robin was offended. He was angry by what I said, and we were friends. How easy it is for that to happen when we're not friends. Our world will never find peace. 
You and I will never find peace if our only cry is the cry of getting even. But there's another cry. It's the cry of mercy. It's the cry that Jesus taught us to pray when he gave us the fifth petition of his prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, in the Bible, in the Psalms, there are what we call calls for divine retribution, calls for God's revenge. But those are few and far between. And such language does not appear in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Jesus wants us to approach all of our relationships and really all of our experiences in life with this prayer in mind, forgive us our sins. Help us to be introspective and not offended. Help us to be merciful, not mad. My heart is like an object observed under a magnifying glass. All the stupid stuff we see out there, all the boorish behavior that so angers and offends us is very much alive and well in my heart. Jesus says to me, out of your heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. To look at it another way, I'm like an echo. Be good to me in the morning, smile at you, and I'll smile back, and I'll be good. But cross me, say something that upsets me, and then I get angry, and I get offended. We see this playing out on the streets and highways of our nation every day. One rude driver suddenly becomes a noisy parade of angry, honking, irate motorists. But when one person allows a driver to merge into traffic, that results in a chain reaction of patience and kindness. What this means for us is that any discussion of behavior that offends must begin with me. Any talk about being offended by the words and actions of others must start with my sin and my wrongdoing. It's so easy to curse the darkness out there in the world without paying attention to my own candle, which is dimly lit if it is lit at all. When you think this through, you begin to understand that our biggest problem isn't with the behavior and actions of others and how on the surface anyway, we have every right to be angry and offended by them. Our biggest problem is us and how God has every right to be angry and offended by what we say and do and think. There was a statement in last week's Monday Meditations that made me pause. The author was writing about prayer, and he made the point that we dishonor God with prayers that are uh, quick. Now, that's a discussion for another day. Do quick prayers constitute sin? 
I know that not praying. I know that praying timidly. I know that not praying confidently that God will hear and all, answer all of my prayers. These are sins, but quick prayers? My point today is that you and I can't even begin to fathom how much we say and do and how much we neglect to say and do offends the honor of God. King David once asked, who can discern their errors? And he was so quick to add, forgive my hidden faults. The Apostle Paul hit the nail on the head when he said, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. In other words, in my heart, which God describes as deceitful above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? I don't have a clue as to everything. Everything God must forgive in me when I pray, forgive us our sins. But he does, doesn't he? God does completely. He does eternally. God does fully. God does forever. God saw the facade, the fake front we put up to blind ourselves to our own sins and to hide them from others. God saw us for who we really are, sinners in desperate need of his forgiveness. And what is so incredible is that God looked at us through the eyes of mercy, eyes that saw the Pharisee and the prostitute and the tax collector and you and me as people for whom he was willing to live, suffer, and die. And what's even more amazing is that God today still looks at you and me through these eyes of mercy. God calls himself our brother. The scriptures say both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Some people criticize our Christian faith for all this talk about sin, but they miss the point. There's sin, yeah, a lot of sin, and it's our sin. But there's forgiveness, a lot of forgiveness, and it's God's forgiveness. Unless you and I realize the depravity and the enormity of our sin, we'll never learn to appreciate how wide and long and high and deep is the love that God has for us in Christ. So how do we respond when we're tempted to take offense? As Pastor Panitsky mentioned last week, we'll talk more about that in week four of this message series. But the heart of the answer lies in the hearts of people like you and me. There's only one thing that God can do with hearts that are so prone and so quick to sin, and that is love them and forgive them. 
through the life, suffering, and death of Jesus. Only God's love, his rich and relevant love in Christ, enables us to approach this whole matter of taking offense in a good and godly way. So let's begin by taking the time to recognize and repent of our own offensive behavior before God and then respond with mercy, the same mercy God shows us in Christ. As I reflected on this text, especially in light of last week's sermon, a number of practical thoughts came to mind. The first had to do with clarification. Number one, there's a difference between anger and disappointment. I can be disappointed in what somebody says or does without being angry with that person. My disappointment is more with that person's behavior or actions and not with the person himself or herself. I can love the person to death and still be disappointed by what they've said or done. Number three, I can't fake forgiveness by repressing my anger forcing myself to love another person. That doesn't remove the problem. That doesn't resolve the issue. It buries it, only to be resurrected down the line as a much bigger problem. Instead, I need to recognize the problem as sin, of which I am also guilty, and then humbly take it to the Lord in prayer then I need to recognize that I am unable to forgive on my own. Forgiveness isn't some kind of psychological trick. It's not some kind of clever manipulation. Forgiveness is and always will be something that God works in my heart. So I must face the fact that when I forgive someone, I may have to forgive them again. And again, and again. And when I forgive someone, that doesn't make that person perfect, nor am I made perfect when I forgive that person. Forgiveness is simply acknowledging that the relationship has been restored, which is something that only God can do. It's an acknowledgement that I'm treating the other person in the same way that God has treated me in Christ. An example of this is when a father forgives his daughter for lying to him. As a result, something has come between them. Something has separated them. When dad forgives her, he isn't saying, I forget, because the memory of that incident may be a painful thing that exists for quite a while to come. But he's forgiven her. He's forgiven her the same way that Jesus has forgiven him. He's saying, honey, this won't come between us. This won't separate us. Our bond of love in Christ is certain and sure. I'll love you to death. 
Now, how can anyone forgive that way? On our own, we can't. It is utterly impossible for us on our own to forgive like that. But Jesus can. And Jesus did. For the sake of his son, our brother, Jesus, who lived our life, who died our death, who went to the cross and poured out his blood to pay for our sins, the Father is now willing to say to you and me, you're mine. You belong to me. Nothing can separate us. Nothing, no one can come between us. I'll be with you forever. Peter asks in our text this morning, how many times shall I forgive? The answer to his dilemma is that forgiveness can flow only from faith in Jesus. Forgiveness means that even though I don't trust myself to keep forgiving the way God wants me to forgive, God does. God does for me. God does for the offending party every day, every hour, every minute, every second. And when I forgive someone for their offensive behavior, I'm really just acting in faith, my faith in Jesus. It's not possible for me to forgive. I can't do it on my own. But with God, all things are possible. That's why in our parable today, the unmerciful servant is denied his master's mercy. He doesn't have a clue as to the enormity of his debt to the king, nor does he even begin to appreciate how much his king has forgiven in him. And so, why would he even think of being merciful to someone else? But we know how merciful God has been to us, don't we? We know how much God has forgiven in us. We know how generous God has been in opening up the treasury of his heaven and forgiving us the multi-trillion dollar debt of our sin. So why would we fuss over the nickels and dimes and quarters that we believe people owe us? We're so forgiven by God. Let's not stoop to being offended by the behavior of others. Let's just keep praying. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. It's in your pew Bible on page 985. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He gradually and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. This is the gospel of the Lord. Now the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Closer to Christ sermon podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and The Bridge in Muskego, Wisconsin. Closer to Christ podcasts are from our current sermon series and are released every Monday morning. For live stream services and other ministry information, please visit us online at stpaulmuskego.org.